Yo and hello. Welcome back to Podcast Free Roscoe. I'm Sam. And I'm Jody. We're wondering. Do you remember Radio Free Roscoe? Good me neither. <laughs> we remembered a whole season of it. Wow. Do you think we can remember a whole other season? I, I hope so. I didn't watch the episode ahead of time, so I don't know that I actually remember. Yeah, we're, we've actually decided to switch formats where we don't actually follow along with the episode. We just try to remember everything in sequence of how it happened. I think Roy gets really mad in this one. I, I think Waller gets mad at some point yeah. and his snow globe breaks. Oh, no. And Ed and Ted inherit the earth. Waller dies after his uh, snow globe breaks and Ed and Ted dance on his grave. I like the thought of, like, the snow globe is like a horcrux. Like, that's yes. what's tethering him to this world. Yes. I I was picturing them fully doing the You're So Collectible Girl dance at the funeral. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome back to season two of Radio Free Roscoe and a podcast Free Roscoe. We've got a whole new season with a whole new set of twists and turns. We're starting this out with season two, episode one, You Choose, You Lose. First aired August 27th, 2004, written by Russ Cochran and directed by Chris Grismer. We gotta settle this. Settle what? The color of Lily's eyes. Oh boy, so we actually <laughs> open with a, a little before the, the intro credit scene for the yeah. first time. Um, a cold to, open. Or yes, a hot a cold open. open. Oh god. <laughs> But we get a continuation of the cliffhanger that we left off uh, season one on of Lily and Travis leaning in and Ray with his hand on the door about to walk in on them. So they come very, very, very close to kissing before Lily pushes away and says, I can't. And Ray opens the door and does this whole kind of uh, bit of him trying to do what he said with uh, with Robbie in the last episode where he just wants to look at Lily and see if he feels any different. So he prefaces it by being like, ah, Robbie and I have a bet about what color your eyes are. And uh, Lily and Travis kind of like awkwardly part. And Lily's like, all right, take a look. And they just kind of stare at each other for for a while. And it's it's all just like this this gambit of of Ray, you know, just wanting to look at her for a minute. And it's it's cute. Yeah, I, I just I love he says they're the color of the Roscoe swimming pool on the first day of summer before the day camp kids get there. <laughs> what, a, what a weird attempt at a romantic comment. I, I would rather he had just said a swimming pool a and swimming not pool. the Roscoe swimming pool because that immediately applies. It's like a public swimming pool. Yeah, it's a public pool. Before those are two very different things where it's like, yeah. oh, they're like pools, pools of green, blue water yeah. <laughs> versus they're like a public swimming pool. <laughs> But the kids Two all very pissing. different implications. Yeah. They're full of band-aids. They're full of band-aids. Your eyes look like they need to be clean. <laughs> your eyes need more chlorine. I think your eyes need to be evacuated. <laughs> <laughs> something not right there. And then uh, Lily makes some excuse because she's feeling super awkward. She's like, oh, is that the time? I got to work on a school project. Bye, guys. And... Uh, Ray and Travis have this weird sort of energy going on where Ray's like, I could never forget those eyes. And Travis is like, neither can I. Kind of, kind of to himself, not directly to Ray. Yeah. Um, but but we get a lot of like Travis <laughs> kind of like turning away from the group and like making all of these like faces over his shoulder. I don't quite know what emotions <laughs> he's he's emoting. <laughs> Travis is hard to read, but it's it's a lot of pained facial expressions at the very least. Yes. Travis all always contains 
She's the same Lily you've known since you were little. I don't know, man. I mean, my gut is telling me that everything is different now. So we're in school the next day. Ray runs into Robbie in the hallway and is like, oh my God, she's more beautiful than ever. Oh, I'm so, I got to tell her how I feel. And Robbie is is still uh, kind of stung from how cold Kim's being about wanting to be seen with him in public. So he's like, well, sometimes when you tell people how you feel, things are a little unpredictable. Um, and then we go over to the cafeteria where Lily is sitting and Travis comes to to join her and and he asks her how her day is going and she tries to kind of keeps it casual but also mentions that Audrey won't look at her is is ignoring her and it's it's sad oh it's so sad we're unfortunately heading into the era of um, the complete mistreatment of Audrey as a character Yeah, and she's like, well, I'm glad we're okay, at least. <laughs> like, I'm glad you and I are fine, but not like, this yeah, uh, we're cool. friendship I've I had for years before. And uh, she says, yeah, it would have been a total mistake to go there again. And Travis is kind of like, uh, like, he keeps, like, trying <laughs> to, like, say something. <laughs> yeah, he Tim Allen's into, like, you know, <laughs> trying to maybe bring up potential feelings. When suddenly Ray and Robbie show up, and Ray's managed his, uh, Ray has managed to procure again uh, a mammoth amount of pudding. Like these, it's so much pudding. These kids get like huge diner cups of pudding, which is I what I want. And the four of them are sitting and hanging out, and randomly Lily says, "Oh, have you heard the latest? Apparently, some ninth grader kissed Kim Carlisle yesterday." And they're all like, "Whoa, that's weird. Kim sucks." And Robbie's like, "Kim's kind of cute, though." And everybody's like, "What the fuck?" Ray's call is that you know whoever kissed her has some really bad judgment, and Robbie's like contemplating his lunch. Oh, so now that you've completely destroyed my reputation, you want to go and ruin my teeth too? Destroyed your reputation? A ninth grader kissed me in public. We get a Robbie and Kim moment. Robbie tries to kind of make things up with Kim by offering her an opened lollipop, <laughs> which is gross, um, but I guess kind of cute, but mostly gross. And Kim's super upset because. He's, you know, ruined her reputation because of that small cluster of people who happened to witness their kiss inside the radio station. And then Waller's coming down the hallway and Robbie kind of steps away but is still able to overhear the conversation. And Waller basically, uh, you know, kind of goes off on Kim about her extracurricular extracurriculars or, or whatever. And he says that he's going to be implementing all these new rules and that he's the one who runs cougar radio not her which you wouldn't have thought last season (laughs) yeah yeah you're so easily intimidated by by kim and even like um like the episode where he's trying to win over miss mitchell (laughs) like oh he he does nothing when she tells him off but uh he says his first rule is no food in the booth and he takes away her lollipop (laughs) like sniffs it in this really weird way and then he goes strawberry as if he was gonna like eat that open lollipop that (laughs) a was not hers to begin with so robbie gives kim an open lollipop and then it's implied that waller takes it from her and eats it but that's that's so weird that somebody's holding a lollipop and your thought would be like oh i can eat this this definitely hasn't been in somebody else's mouth (laughs) it appears dry therefore i'm sure it's fine (laughs) in the scientific mind of danny waller he's just like sucking on his lollipop while madly shaking his snow globe 
this is what happens when you don't have a science curriculum. <laughs> Why is it the harder you try to push things forward, the further they slide back? Basic law of physics. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Yes. It's like, the closer I get to that blackboard, the further away the answer seems to be. After Robbie and Kim part ways, Kim still very pissed off at Robbie, we go to the radio station and Robbie is, as he often is, opining about, you know, life, but it's all, it's about his own romantic interests. And he's asking, you know, what what happens when you push things too far or whatever, um, you know, and they, they end up coming back to bite you. And Travis is like tinkering with some sort of electric thing. And he's like, well, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, you know, I, I gotta say, Travis spends a lot of time fidgeting with stuff, and that would be like if if we were recording it during the podcast, it would just be, you know. So so Father goes into this moment, like you can't you can't fidget with shit in front of a microphone, Travis. You set this whole thing up, but this yeah. this whole bit, Travis is kind of going on. And he's like, oh, it's basic law of physics, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And then kind of goes into like some some more of a very, you know, philosophical Travisisms. Very and, Travis. I mean, we've you've said a lot about how obvious Robbie makes himself, but really, nobody else in that school talks like Travis. There's yeah. no way you could not tell that that is Travis behind that mic. Oh, hundred percent. I think it's only it's only by virtue of the fact that he's not popular. I yeah. think like I think Robbie has semi popularity because he's been on Cougar Radio a bit and he's kind of like, you know, he had that weird assignment where he had to make a video for the ninth graders. Travis was crunch the cougar for all of 10 seconds. And other than that, he's just the weird kid who will like maybe beat you up if you uh, if you ask him for a bendy straw. Get that good crunch fame. <laughs> yes. That, nothing puts your name on the map like being in a full costume. Yep. It's uh, one for the resume, for sure. But we thought Robbie was talking about his love life, but Ray kind of launches into this whole thing about, and sometimes you have uh, feelings for somebody who's been part of your life forever, and you take goofy photos and blah, blah, blah. And he's just like going on and on and on about his feelings for Lily. And then we go over to Lily, who's uh, studying for, I think it was her bio exam or something. And we get another one of those cool inside the radio shots that we saw like, our third or fourth episode, you know, we see her sort of looking over her collection of photos and we get this one very on the nose one where it's like Ray and Travis both kind of like, they look like they're kind of in mid walk and they're like <laughs> turned towards the camera. It's like, oh, what's what's her choice going to be? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very candid snap, but we can see her kind of catch on as as Ray is making like these these comments that are very clearly about her and yeah. about him having feelings for her, but also that now he knows that she has feelings for for him and this crush that he's had isn't a crush and it's it's something completely different so we have ray kind of come to like this big emotional realization on the air and lily somehow who hasn't caught on to uh, until this point that he has feelings for her <laughs> slowly catching on herself yeah, it's uh, more than just a crush Man, the Princess Diaries soundtrack is so good. You can't just make a reference to the Princess Diaries soundtrack <laughs> and assume that anybody but me gets it. This is not true. It's a cult classic. <laughs> Princess Diaries soundtrack does slap. It, does. it is the perfect time capsule of early 2000s pop. Pretty bold words today, Ray. 
Yeah, well, it was about time. Listen, I'm sorry about all the drama over the past couple days. So the broadcast finishes up, and Ray and Travis are packing up to head out, and Travis says, you know, those were pretty bold words. He he takes the moment to apologize to Ray because he knew how Ray felt, and he caused all this drama between them and Lily, and Ray says, you know what? You were right. I didn't act on my feelings, but I'm going to act now. It's a whole new ball game, uh, and I'm going to win it. And Travis is all like, well, winning isn't everything. And uh, Ray says, that's what the losers say. <laughs> and then we get sad Travis. Just just sad Travis. But it's definitely more mature a response than you would expect from Ray, yeah. given all this background. You'd think he would like be really eager to hold on to this, this grudge against Travis, mm-hmm. but... Pretty pretty quick to, to forgive him and, and actually admit that he was wrong. So I don't know. Is this a turning point for Ray? Yeah. Emotional maturity on the horizon, maybe? Because he does follow it up with, I'm going to win the big game of dating my friend. <laughs> and if you don't win, you're a loser. <laughs> and I'm going to catch the, the ball that flies into the stands. And that ball is a woman. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't a good comparison because then he's not playing the sport. <laughs> yeah, you win by kind of just, well, that was his technique before, I think, was just kind of waiting to see what was going to happen and it didn't really work. We're waiting until Lily flew through the air and just kind of laid on it. Yeah. I'm good at sports metaphors. Yeah. You're not exactly the best at keeping a secret, are you? What? What secret? I heard yesterday's show. Pretty sure you told Ray I like him. We hop to school the next day and Robbie's feeling good. Like a guy in the cl- hallway says, hey, Rob. And he's like, hey. And he's walking down the hallway and then he makes eye contact with Kim who gives him like the death glare. She turns around and leaves. She's got her clipboard and her her fancy button down shirt. She's not having any of it. And then uh, she she manages to sort of brush past Lily who comes up to Robbie and confronts him about telling Ray that she had feelings for him. And he's like, yeah, so what's the problem? You do. You have feelings <laughs> you for do. him. It's fine. fine. She's like, Robbie. Fuck, <laughs> dude. Yeah, Robbie's just not. And he admits that he's like, yeah, I should probably stop just telling people things without consulting. <laughs> um, but because uh, now Lily's feeling a little bit confused about her feelings. There's the whole thing with Travis. And she's also worried that things are going to somehow change in her relationship with Ray. And... Uh, um, and Robbie says, "Well, if you don't you, if you don't deal with it now, you're gonna have to deal with it later." <laughs> and we get this weird shot where they kind of look over, and Ray's looking really disheveled, disheveled, and he's just kind of like, <laughs> he kind of gives them a it, little. Wave. It just really looked like he's waving at them. He's just kind of like in the hallway, yeah, like, <laughs> like maybe waving at somebody. Yeah. And then uh, we hop to a Cougar Radio broadcast where Kim is. Trying to do her usual broadcast, she's talking about sports, and she uses the term ram jamming. And then I, I don't think you can say that on the radio. That's rude. Uh, I don't think that's appropriate. Inappropriate. We see Waller's head just kind of enter the frame, be like, "You can't use that word. Like made up words are forbidden." And blah blah blah. And he goes on about how they're supposed to be enhancing student vocabularies while they're on the air. And please keep the editorializing to a minimum. This is a radio station, not your personal soapbox. 
So we get the shot of people in the cafeteria just just listening to Waller like <laughs> reprimand her on the radio. Poor Kim. Um, and and Kim tries to recover, and she's like, "That's the voice of Principal Waller, who is chaperoning Cougar Radio." And he's like, "Don't think of me as a chaperone. Think of me as a co-host." And I know I'm not the only one who wants to see Danger Man come back on the air. Yes. Oh, although with the authoritarian bent that uh, Waller has taken, I I shuddered to think what Danger Man would be. Uh, in the 2000s, as opposed to the, the looser, more fun 1970s Danger Man? Dangerous Man. Dangerous Man. You know, reciting the school's official code of conduct, wow, gave me shivers. In all fairness, Waller does seem to have Kim on a pretty tight leash. So we, we get kind of a recap of that Cougar Radio broadcast on RFR that day. Of, of them kind of roasting Kim for, I guess, reciting the school code of conduct uh. on the air. And Robbie's trying to kind of quietly defend her and be like, well, it seems like it's Waller's fault. It's not really Kim. Um, but that's about as far as that goes. And they close off the, the RFR broadcast. And Lily goes to leave. She says she's going to go work on her paper. And um, after she leaves, Ray just kind of like looks at the other two and then bolts out the door <laughs> and follows her out. He's like, you want to have dinner tonight? She's like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen your family in a long time. And he's like, no, um, you here at the station, just us at seven. And she's like, oh, um, okay. <laughs> like, it's it's very awkward. And it's, it's kind of hard to gauge um, Lily's feelings particularly. Um, but as she, she leaves, Robbie comes out the door and Ray super excitedly is like, I've got a date with Lily. And he's like, are, are you sure she knows it's a date? <laughs> and we get like, a very, very good assortment of, like, <laughs> Ray turning his head like he's a bird, just kind of, like, twitching, yeah. looking a, a bunch of different kind of ways. Kind looks back at Lily. Very confused at, at his own actions. Yeah. <laughs> Ray and Lily are having dinner, but does she know it's a date? Is it a date? Is this happening? After a whole season of, of this will-they-won't-they they, uh, figure out their own oh, feelings? Geez, oh, geez, We don't know. I, I will say the mention of Ray's family made me think of how Ray's dad called Robbie Mr. Flippity Flop, which made me wonder what nicknames he has for the rest of Ray's friends. Well, now we've got a haircut. He can't call him Mr. Flippity Flop. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I will flippity flop no more. <laughs> Can you imagine if Ray brought Travis over for a family meal? Quite, what kind of oh, interactions no. would Mr. Brennan have with Travis? Oh, <laughs> imagine Travis Strong at your family dinner <laughs> trying to have a conversation with your parents. <laughs> It's about time for our CanCon commercial break. And anyone who knows me knows I had to do this sooner or later. <laughs> so I'm sneaking this one in. What better way to start out season two of the show and of our podcast than with one of my favorite shows? It's time for Clone High. Way, way back in the 1980s, secret government employees dug up So Clone High aired from 2002 to 2003 on Teletoon and later on MTV. It was produced and joined by a whole bunch of, of teams, including Lord Miller Productions, Nelvana, Touchstone, MTV, and Paramount. So Nelvana is our, our Canadian connection here. It counts. <laughs> and sneaking this one in, it's a Canadian-American production. So the crew for this one, um, the series itself was created by Phil Lord, Chris Miller, and Bill Lawrence. So I'll talk a little bit about Lord and Miller. Um, they've they've you know gone on to have some really um, kind of prominent careers, um, a lot of uh, film work recently. But the two of them met at uh, Dartmouth, where they had separate columns in the school paper. So um, 
Chris Miller's column in particular, um, he published an article which caught the eye of Michael Eisner, the, the current Disney exec at the time. So Eisner and the rest of the Disney exec set up a meeting with him. And Chris Miller agreed to go to it on the condition that he could bring Phil Lord. Wow! <laughs> so um, that led the to gumption. them. I know that led to them <laughs> starting uh, uh, their work. So they moved to LA and they started a two-year development deal for Disney Television Animation. So Clone High was their first series to to get picked up. But some of their other major works that you may know of, um, they worked on various capacities, either directing, writing, or producing. You may know Cloudy with a Chance at Meatballs, those two movies, the Lego movie, yes. 21 Jump Street, 22 Jump Street, Amazing. and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Ah. So like a, a ton of like really cool credits, um, and, you know, w- that they've had various influence on. But, you know, some of... Some of my favorite bits of comedy have have come from these two. And then um, in the Canadian side, uh, because there's so many production teams, I won't go into exactly every single executive producer or producer, but uh, the Nelvana team, the executive producers are made up of Michael Hirsch, Scott Dyer, and Topher Taylor. Uh, Michael Hirsch, we've talked about before. He's incredibly influential on the Canadian media scene, especially the animated media scene. Um, I believe we talked about him in the Brace Face episode. But um, tons of credits to his name, huge influence on a ton of um, media companies. And then Scott Dyer is also one of the Nelvana co-founders and has had um, titles for Chorus Entertainment. And then Topher Taylor, very similarly, has had um, held titles for Cookie Jar Entertainment. So um, a couple of people who are very kind of influential in these um, major Canadian media companies. So the show itself, um, basically, it's all in the theme song. So (laughs) way, way back in the 1980s, secret government employees dug up famous guys and ladies and made amusing genetic copies. Now, the clones are sexy teens now. They're going to make it if they try. Loving, learning, sharing, judging, a time to laugh and shiver and cry. It's clone high. (laughs) So it's... It's an absolutely ridiculous show. Basically, you're you're looking at clones of a ton of different historical figures as if they're in a high school drama. It's it's ridiculous. It takes place in the fictional town of Exclamation USA. It combines like the the weird political historical humor of like dealing with these historical figures with all the tropes of a teen drama. Um, And it's just a wild cast of characters. So going into that, we've got kind of five main clone characters and and, um, a couple of other very prominent characters in the show. But first in our cast, we've got Will Forte as Abe Lincoln. So Abe is kind kind of the main character of the show. The thing is, like, a lot of these characters were, were written to be the opposite of our historical understanding of, of them. So Abe is kind of, like, very morally ambivalent, very indecisive kind of guy. Um, and Will Forte, of course, you, you probably know from SNL, MacGruber, 30 Rock, The Last Man on Earth. He also provides the kind of opening narration. So each episode of the show starts with a voiceover going, Previously on a very special clone high. For every single episode. <laughs> so he does like this intro narration bit as well. And then we've got Nicole Sullivan playing Joan of Arc. Joan is another one of the main characters. She's kind of like this this emo girl who's like super in love with Abe. So you've got like that that trope of being in love with the best friend. Mm-hmm. But it's Joan of Arc and Abe Lincoln. All I'm saying is a girl is interested in me and I'm not going to ignore it. Abe, I want you. You want me to what? I don't know. I what you're going to say. It happens to me all the time. Well, I'm off. So Nicole Sullivan did six seasons on Mad TV. You might recognize her voice as Shigo on Kim Possible. Ah. 
She was also Jill Tracy on Scrubs. She was Holly on King of Queens. She plays Janine on Blackish. She's got a ton of credits to her name. So then you've got Michael McDonald as Gandhi. Um, no, not that <laughs> Michael McDonald. <laughs> An eye for the eye makes the whole world fly. That, that would be a really good bit, though. <laughs> you just had a character that was just doing a Michael McDonald impression the whole time. Um, so Michael McDonald is also a Mad TV alum. He is also a director and a guest star on Scrubs and a writer, director, producer on Cougar Town. Gandhi is like very hyper party boy in, in this show. So then we've got Chris Miller as JFK. Um, JFK is like the, the popular jock of the school. There's just, there's so many good moments in, in this show, but it's like a very exaggerated Kennedy impression yes. the, the entire time. No, no, no! Like this! For a supper, are wanna party platter! So then rounding out kind of your, your five main clones, you've got Krista Miller as Cleopatra, who's like the, you know, super vapid, mean, popular girl. Um, Krista Miller played Kate on the Drew Carey show and Jordan on Scrubs and also had a lead role in Cougar Town. And then you've got two more kind of main characters. We've got Principal Scudworth, who's voiced by Phil Lord. So he's the principal of the school and he's kind of like this this evil mastermind kind of character who's always trying to figure out, you know, ways to to benefit from the situation with, with all of these clones. And he has a, a robot sidekick um, named Mr. Butlertron, who's voiced by Chris Miller. So you've got kind of this <laughs> like mad scientist henchman dynamic as well. So the show is just like a whole bunch of things crammed into one. Um, you probably notice in the cast, there's um, tons of overlap with Scrubs. There's a lot yeah. of like, people who are from Scrubs in this show. And it doesn't stop there. You know, we've also got um, Donald Faison uh, as Toots who is Joan's uh, adoptive parent. We, you also have Zach Braff and Sarah Chalk from Scrubs in bit parts in the show. I think Zach Braff plays Paul Revere in one episode. And then you've also got Neil Flynn, who's the janitor from Scrubs, playing a janitor in Clone High. So basically, you know, you've got three of the main characters of, of Scrubs and a ton of recurring characters all showing up here. And that's because Bill Lawrence, who's a creator of the show, also created Scrubs. Oh. And is also the co-creator of Cougar Town and Spin City. So we've heard Cougar Town from some of these other people. So there's kind of a ton of overlap between those shows. Interesting. Um, yeah, Scrubs is only in its like first or second season at the time that this was being produced. So there's just kind of a ton of people uh, working back and forth. So the actual like history of the show, Lord and Miller conceptualized the show in college, and it was originally developed under Touchstone Television and pitched to Fox, who did not take it to series. Um, MTV then purchased it, and the characters were redesigned, and each episode was budgeted around $750,000. So the design itself was similar to kind of Cartoon Network shows of the time. If you look at the drawing style, it kind of looks like Dexter's mm -hmm. Lab. And in an interview, Chris Miller had said, we like the snappy pose-to-pose -pose animation more for reasons of comic timing than anything else. Things that aren't expected are funnier. If an anvil's going to fall in your head, it'd better not take more than three seconds. That's why we like the quick pose-to-pose stuff. For scenes with more emotional content, the characters move a little slower and more fluidly. In, in an EW interview, um, Chris Miller kind of said of Clone High and of the experience of making it, he said, it was basically our film school. We learned how to edit and how to do all that cinematic stuff on the fly. We keep ripping ourselves off from stuff we learned from making that show. I feel like constantly when we're talking about things, we'll be like, oh, we did something like this on Clone <laughs> High. It comes up all the time. 
I think about our sense of timing and how to execute a really highly emotional thing that also has an underlying comic idea behind it. We use that a lot. That's really cool. So that interview goes on to say, unfortunately, the magic was cut short. Perhaps fitting with the series' strange energy, Clone High has one of the wackiest endings of all one-season shows. <laughs> As Lawrence says, it's certainly my only show ever canceled by a symbolic hunger strike by members of the Indian Parliament. What? So that's in reference to a 2003 protest in which 150 Indian politicians and activists demonstrated a, a hunger strike in protest for the depiction of Gandhi in Clone High. Because Gandhi is like this like ridiculous kind of sex crazed uh, hyper party boy in the show, which is, you know, a, a complete 180 from, you know, our understanding for, of, of him in, in our own culture for, for him as um, kind of a, a political yeah. historical figure, but also in, in Indian culture where he's, you know, a very revered person. And it was done, it, you know, in a way that was, it was meant to feel like it was the complete opposite yeah. of, of these characters. And that was kind of what they were going for. But that led me to this article called The Complicated Racial Legacy of MTV's Cult Classic Clone High. So just some excerpts from this. Um, the author of this says, There's a very clear Indian interpretation of Gandhi, the virtual saint. And there's the American interpretation of a civil rights leader whose dedication to peace was honorable and also made him the perfect target for ironically violent renderings by the American pop culture machine. After all, Gandhi did appear on the ultra-violent claymation show Celebrity Deathmatch three years before Clone High aired, and he won against Genghis Khan. And that kind of made me think of even, like, in media depictions I've seen, like, um, UHF, UHF. like, the, the Weird Al film, they they have a parody called Gandhi yeah. 2, where he's, like, he's got machine guns, and it's, it's supposed to be this complete juxtaposition of our mm -hmm. understanding, right? Yeah. Later on this article, and kind of in reference to um, like similar Indian characters of the time, they say these characters were racist, but I love them anyway, devouring whatever scraps of South Asian representation I could get. I knew that the culture was simply being made fun of, but at least I got to feel like I was in on the joke. We don't have a lot to work with. Despite setting out to subvert the ultimate Indian icon, in many ways, Clone High's Gandhi wasn't a huge departure from how South Asians had been represented. Mm. He's the sidekick. He's not exceptional with the ladies, despite having a successful rap career. He was the comedic relief, as South Asian characters tend to be. But Gandhi didn't have an accent. His comedy wasn't rooted in his being Indian, although the physical humor was sometimes enhanced by the reminder that this clumsy, hyperactive dunce was supposed to be Gandhi. Clone High's Gandhi brings up an interesting question about cultural sensitivity and global icons. Gandhi's impact is undeniably worldwide, but while he's maybe one history lesson in an American classroom, he's revered as a saint in India. Upholding a complicated person as morally flawless is definitely dangerous, but then again, I'm not sure it's America's place to tear through that red tape. It's not like American media had ever treated South Asian characters with much respect anyway. Interesting. So, uh... Yeah, a different and important, you know, per perspective. It's definitely a, a wild close to, to this show. And, you know, it's it's something that you have to reflect on because this is this is a show that I really like. I think it's it's really funny. Yeah. And I think they, they do a lot of things with with irony, but you, you do have to have these conversations mm -hmm. and take, you know, that that kind of response to a show like this when when that response is is so felt to, to the point that people you know went through a hunger strike to to protest um viacom and and to to try to prevent the the show from proceeding yeah. you, you have to you know wow. take time to to understand where that perspective is coming from mm -hmm. so kind of like uh, radio free roscoe this show is pretty music heavy so a lot of the music including the theme song was provided by abandoned pools 
But the music in the show genre-wise kind of ranges from alternative rock, indie rock, Midwest emo, hardcore punk, pop rock, metalcore, and it's all from mostly unknown and underground bands and musicians. I found um, a Vice article that's called Clone High is a Time Capsule of the Early 2000s Emo Explosion. Yes. They say a big part of Clone High's effectiveness was its music selection, the kind that felt like both a nod to the kids watching it and an in-joke for them as well. When Joan of Arc first sees Abe, the object of her affection, kissing Cleopatra, it makes perfect sense that Dashboard Confessional soundtracks the moment, with Chris Caraba's screams of I starve for you matching Joan's over-the-top anguish. I starve for you, but this new diet's liquid, and, and while hearing Dashboard Confessional in an MTV show was no big shock at the time, due in part to the band's successful Unplugged performance in 2002, Hearing the likes of American Football, The Get Up Kids, Thursday, Alkaline Trio, Saves the Day, Hot Rod Circuit, Sunday's Best, Owen, and for some reason Snapcase in the background of Crucial Moments felt like a knowing wings to the world that the show was using as a source material. I love that. I I didn't watch this show until maybe three years ago. I, I maybe vaguely remembered it being on TV. And then I think I saw it in like a Watch Mojo top 10, like, cartoons you haven't heard of or something like that and I was like this sounds pretty great and then I found it and I binged it and was so upset that it was only 13 episodes because yeah. the humor of it is ridiculous in terms of like just the weird throwaway like political jokes that they'll make and the the tropes that they'll they'll play off of and how everything has to be so incredibly dramatic all the time because it's, it's trying to parody that feel of like Dawson's Creek or the OC or like these like really big 2000s um teen dramas of the time and and like it very like openly mocks a lot of tropes used in in tv like if you go into the tv tropes for this show (laughs) it's the list is so long because it tries to like play on every single one of them in and lampoon it so you've got one episode that's just like three or four makeover montages with like the background music just going makeover, 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 makeover. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You've got that. Uh, you've got dramatic fights between everybody. You've got like the the very special episode. Not only like as as you know that kind of opening narration that I mentioned, but there is also within the show a very special episode in which one of the characters gets killed off, and it's a character that they just introduced that <laughs> episode just for this stupid subplot. And you've got like a musical episode, you've got like these like PSA episodes, you've got the holiday episode, you've got like every every kind of like little pocket like theme they've tried to pull into it just just to lampoon. It's it's a short show, but it's it's so fun. So um, this show gained a cult following. So you best believe there are petitions. Um, there are petitions to bring this show back on Change.org, Go Petition, I Petitions, X Petition, and Reddit. <laughs> And there's also a Twitter account called Save Clone High. Amazing. So um, I'll just read one of the petitions. This says, In the month of November in 2002, the animated television cartoon Clone High USA was first aired on Teletoon Canada and MTV in the US. The plot was based on a school that was home to many genetically copied clones of famous historical figures. The show had a large fan base that was growing at a fast pace. While at large, the show was silly and goofy. There were, however, many deep topics that were touched, ranging from ADD and ADHD panic to peer pressure and social conformity in youth populations. However, the show came to an abrupt end in 2003 after its season finale when citizens of India became outraged hearing that Mahatma Gandhi, who was one of the main characters, was being depicted disrespectfully. 
Now I sit here 11 years later, <laughs> going on 12 in approximately 23 days, thinking, how come this show is lost, but yet South Park and Family Guy are still aired? What makes them so different? If anything, those shows produce more controversial and appalling content than Clone High ever did. I, one of many, want this show to make its long-awaited return. Don't do it for me or yourself. Do it for the engaging and positive content it delivered to youth in the right context. Anyone with me? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, starting a movement. See, I, I, I've never thought of, of this take of like, wow, it, it talked about ADD, you know, it's it's an educational thing because ev- everything is just done for it to be like a ridiculous <laughs> trope episode. Yeah. But kind of to that point, um, Lord and Miller have kind of jokingly said in interviews that their whole career has been about getting Clone High back on the air um, because they, they lost the rights to it years ago and mm. couldn't find a, a willing di- distributor. Um, some additional facts about the show. it's It's got some ridiculous guest stars. I mean, it's You've got a pretty prominent um, voice cast with, you know, people that you would at least recognize, but they they have like these these bit episodes. Um, there's one episode and I, I can't even remember how it ties in at all. But basically there there's a school election and at some point I can't remember what triggers it. But Marilyn Manson comes in and starts singing about the food pyramid. <laughs> oh, I think I, I think I remember you showing me that. Yeah, it's the food pyramid. And it's approved by the USDA. It's it's ridiculous. Um, there's a Christmas episode where Mandy Moore comes in and tries to to give uh, Joe DeVark the Christmas spirit. Although I, I will say it's not Christmas. It's Snowflake Day. And uh, the mascot is Snowflake Jake. And he gives you spices and you jump on his back and you you whisper what spices you, you want. And he threatens to kill your parents. <laughs> And then you've got like <laughs> weird other kind of like one-off bits. Um, Principal Scudworth's arch nemesis is John Stamos. So John Stamos comes in and makes an appearance. And probably my my favorite cameo in the whole show, I think it's the first episode. Um, there's an interaction with Gandhi and Cleopatra. And he's like trying to get her to remember who he is. And he's just like, you know, it's me, Gandhi. I gave you my kidney. And then it goes like, it's a shot of his other kidney just like sitting inside of him looking sad. And his kidney just goes, I miss him. <laughs> <laughs> and that kidney is voiced by Michael J. Fox. <laughs> and that's the only line that he says. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's wild. It's, it's it's a wild, like ridiculously fun lampoony kind of show. But despite being on MTV and on a co-production, this show is produced by Touchstone Television um, as well. So this marks it as Disney's third adult animated series after the PJs and Clerks the Animated Series. Um, I also found an Urban Dictionary definition for Clone High. (laughs) Uh, It is a verb to leave hanging or to be left hanging. Oh, no. (laughs) To be used in a sentence. Hey, man, don't Clone High me. (laughs) Um, there was in November 2017 a reunion at Vulture Fest where the main cast and, and Lord and Miller got back together and, and had a talk about the show. Um, you can actually listen to that whole reunion on the Good One podcast. I've listened to it. It's it's a, a fun, uh, you know, look into into this show and kind of where people are. There's also a nod to the show. I, I mentioned um, 
Lord and Miller were producers on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So there's actually a frame um, where Miles is kind of looking around the city and you can see um, kind of in the cityscape, there's a bunch of ads and you can see one for, I think it's Clone University ah! and it's it's Abe and JFK in the background. So there's a, a little nod to Clone High hidden in this this like that's, big Spider-Man movie. That's great. I also came across an article from uh, Film School Rejects called What Would Have Happened in Season 2 of Clone High? And it's just kind of a, a loose chat with Lord and Miller about like goofy things that they think could have happened and, you know, how, how they would think about adapting it at this point. Because the thing is, it, it's so, um, so closely based off of the teen dramas of the time of like specifically Dawson's Creek and like these very like high drama teen shows that were like very contained to, to be high school so like even even if you think about teen dramas today, like maybe it's Riverdale, but Riverdale is already so ridiculous yeah. in and of itself. Yes. So the the whole thing with the Clone High was adding these these layers onto it. So they kind of talk in in this interview about like you know do do we stick with that format? Do do we talk about it like it's in the early two thousands, or or do we have to kind of like update it for the times? And you know how how would we address things? How would we address the cliffhanger that we we left the show off on? It's one of those things where it it would be so much work for them to like kind of recapture the the feeling of of the first season, mm-hmm. and it's kind of you know perfectly wrapped in its its time. I mean, the show is from two thousand two, two thousand three. So I'll just jump into some reviews. Um, I've got a bunch of reviews from IMDb here. Um, they're largely positive. I, I've grabbed a, a couple of, of varying ones in here, but this first one is called "What a Shame." It's a shame to let a show with such good writing go to waste and end resolved. I love this show. I have all the episodes, and I hope MTV knows that just because some teeny bopper 13-year-olds whose prime interests are Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake doesn't like the show is no reason to take it off the air. I've loved all of MTV's animated shows. It's just so sad that, excepting Daria and Beavis and Butthead, none of their animated shows have lasted for more than one season. I don't think this reviewer understands why it got canceled. (laughs) Uh, This one's called Quirky Little Show That Deserved a Longer Run. I get why Gandhi or JFK might offend some people. But hey, this is a teenage show. Irreverence is about the only thing that makes it age, well, cool. And if mature audiences can't deal with poking a bit of harmless fun at the personalities of historical figures not even their actions, that speaks a ton about the maturity of our adult populace. No wonder we spend our times nose-deep in gossip columns and libel suits. <laughs> Stop being coddled by political correctness and imposing it on everyone as the oh right way of God. doing things. <laughs> what a delightful person. You see, culture? <laughs> I, I know how obsessed I am with libel yeah. suits. He really called me out. Yes, a, a well-fitting libel suit. One says, thank God someone at MTV has a brain. After Daria was cancelled, I wondered if MTV would have another intelligent show like that again. Then I saw Clone High for the first time a few weeks ago, and I loved it. The show itself is funny, and if you know about historical characters, the show becomes even funnier. The creators did a wonderful job with matching historical figures to high school stereotypes. JFK is hilarious. Make sure you watch this show. Don't let it get cancelled. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> Sorry, bud. Got some news for you. Uh, this one, easily accessible, silly fun. It's not an uncommon scenario, but I came across this show long after its unfortunate cancellation. 
The premise is good, and the fact that the show combines history's greatest leaders with the depth and immaturity of the typical high school teen show is a concept that really brings the laughs. The show never tries to be anything but silly and satirical and succeeds for its effort. It is very good that it, it exists on DVD and that it can still be found via Amazon.com and some retailers. Only 13 episodes exist, so it's not hard to watch it all and enjoy it for what it was. Clone High had too limited a run, but what an enjoyable show it was. Find it, watch it, and clone it. Legally, of course. And then the last one, at first I thought it was stupid. <laughs> but then I started watching it, and the show is just now beginning to grow on me. No, it's not perfect. It's no pre-8th season Simpsons. <laughs> But you have to appreciate how the creators use the clone characters to both mock the personalities of historic figures and the WB high school dramas and the same time give new insights on famous historical figures by placing them in a modern setting. I like that he thought it was stupid before he started watching it. I thought it was stupid. And then I started watching it. <laughs> and then I started watching it. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is one that I, as soon as I watched it, was like this. The show is so ridiculous. It's got so many like throwaway lines in it that are super funny. I don't know. It's, it's not even like a matter of age. It's that like you, you have to kind of look at it like it's being very satirical. Yeah. If you try to take it at face value... There's going to be some some things that are very, you know, clearly offensive about yeah. it. I mean, like, look, look at the main characters. It's Abe Lincoln, JFK, Joan of Arc, Cleopatra, and Gandhi. Like, and, and not to say that all those people have, like, the same kind of emotional weight or, you know, that, that they're all people that have kind of different um, stories, you know, as historical figures. But it's, it's constantly making jokes about, like, nothing bad ever happens to the Kennedys. Yeah. And and obviously you've got the whole um, Gandhi um, controversy and and that sort of representation. So I I don't want to sound like I'm being like me as an intellectual. I understand the humor <laughs> of it. But if if you can appreciate this as a satire, it's a very ridiculous, fun combination of things that I think make for a really good um, bit of satire and make for a really fun watch. Just for you know. The ridiculous um, plots, the the ridiculous guest stars, and and it's just it's a really fun show. So if you remember Retro Rerun from when we talked about sixteen, their their YouTube channel, yeah. they they have the entire series up as one YouTube video. So you can watch oh, this whole like four and a half hour YouTube video that has the entire series of uh, of Clone High. It's really fun. It's really goofy. I don't know what else to say other than that. I know that it's not the most Canadian, but it still counts. Yeah, it's still in there somewhere. Nelvana, the, the polar bear from Nelvana just kind of nosed its way in there. <laughs> just kind of sneaks I'm in. I'm here. <laughs> Yo and hello everyone, this is Jody from the future. So, about a week after we recorded this episode, it was announced that Clone High is coming back. It is being revived. So, um, I put that out into the universe, so you're welcome, and enjoy! Look, I'm sorry, what else do you want me to say? Do you realize that Waller made me dedicate a half hour to the food pyramid today? I heard. We pop into Mickey's where Kim is very angrily whipping through a magazine. <laughs> She's kind of flipping through it really fast. And, uh, Robbie stops by and kind of, you know, tries to make it in with her saying, I guess those speed reading classes are paying off. And Kim says the seat is taken. Basically, she still wants nothing to do with Robbie. Robbie's trying to make amends with her. And she's, you know, she's upset that Principal Waller is making her do all these really 
boring, mundane broadcast now. Like, apparently today she talked about the food pyramid, and tomorrow she's supposed to talk about the benefits of good posture. Robbie's like, well, why don't you stand up to him? And she says, and get kicked off of Cougar Radio, and Robbie's like, I'm sure you could bolster your academic record in other ways. And Kim tells Robbie that he doesn't get it. It's about being on the air and having a voice. And she's told Robbie before that she wants to pursue, like, journalism and stuff, so... It's it's hard to sympathize with Robbie here because he fully knew what he was doing by making this scandal and now he's put Kim in this really shitty position. <laughs> so things are still super rocky with them. Like he actively tried to ruin her reputation. Yeah. You can't expect her to just be happy. No, no. Especially when you're it's impacting what she does best and what she has a passion for. But then we get uh, a montage, makeover, 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 <laughs> of uh, Lily getting ready for, for the date. So she's putting a ton of time and thought into this outfit. So it's pretty clear Lily also thinks this is a date now. Yeah. As, as Ray kind of sets up, uh, you know, their dinner in the station. He like gets out a little tablecloth and he lights some candles. And it's it's very sweet. And uh, we, we get a shot of the clock and we see that time time's a ticking and ah! it looks like Lily's not going to show up, but but she makes it and uh, it's daytime. It's daytime for Ray and Lily. Amazing. Yeah. You haven't touched your uh, Shanghai shrimp or your Mongolian mussels there. Ray, I'm allergic to shellfish regardless of what country they're from. We go to Ray and Lily having their Chinese food dinner. Ray tries and fails to pick up a spring roll with the chopsticks a few times. You can pick it up with your hands, right? It's okay. And he just ends up like throwing away his chopsticks <laughs> in frustration. He points out that Lily hasn't touched her shrimp or mussels yet. And Lily's like, I'm allergic to seafood. Remember, we had that clam bake at your place like a few years ago and I broke out knives. <laughs> he, he tries to, to salvage it and says hello to her pizza. And she's like, that's no, okay. I'll just eat noodles. So he, he goes to pour them out on her plate for her and he says, say when, and just dumps the entire thing on her plate. <laughs> Um, I'd and be then fine we, with that. <laughs> I'll, I'll eat all the I noodles. I like all the noodles. That's fine. And then we go over to Robbie and Travis hanging out at where? Mickey's, yeah. of course. How long has um, Robbie been there? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Robbie's just there stirring up trouble. Yeah. So he, he sees Travis listening to some music. He asks what he's listening to. And we see that he's listening to Lily's single. Has he been listening and to that single like over and over? So tell me what to do. <laughs> Robbie asks, you know, is he not happy with how the song turned out? And Travis is like, I'm not happy with how anything's turned out because <laughs> he's he's so dramatic. Angsty boy. And we get more of Robbie kind of trying to insert himself into everybody else's Robbie, business. Stop it. <laughs> he, you know, he tells Travis, oh, I wish I could tell you what to do. And Travis is all like, oh, you snooze, you lose. So if you have something important, you better fight for it. Just, this is a very big turn for Travis within yeah. these past couple episodes when he, he truly did not know how he felt about Lily. Yeah, and he's trying to you know, brush everything off. He's pretty determined about it. Yeah, it is strange. But then we, we go back to the date happening at the station and Ray pretty upset with himself, you know, sit at, is sitting on their little couch with Lily and he's like, hey, he probably had better dates, right? And, and she goes like, well, I had, I had one good one. And she, she says that the, the night after the clam bake, they hung out in his tree house, which he corrects is a tree fort because that's the manly way of having it's a tree a house. It's a boy thing. And, and she says that they just hung out there and they didn't have to say a word. And Ray says that was the night I knew we'd be best friends forever, ah, which is so cute. So cute. 
Um, but then he says, but I guess something's changed and goes in to, to kiss her. And then we get, you know, the, the exact mirror of the bit that we saw at the start of this episode yeah. of Lily pulling away at the last second and being like, I can't. Ah. And Travis is at the station. Travis comes through the door and goes, hey, Lily, I thought like as if he, he only saw Lily and didn't see Ray at all. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, <laughs> I don't understand. So then again, in, in the same ref- reflection, Lily just goes, oh, is that the time? I gotta go. Bye. And leaves. And Travis is like, I'm, I'm sorry, Ray. I really, I didn't know what was happening. And I didn't mean to ruin your date. And Ray's like, that's fine. I already ruined it myself. But he Which didn't. Which is it's such a bummer. It's, he didn't. He, you know, he, he really did try his best. Aside from not remembering a severe allergy. Yeah. <laughs> Happens to the best of us. It's fine. <laughs> Overall, it was a very charming evening. And... I don't yeah, know, Lily's just sweet. mixed up in her heart, I guess. It's not Ray's yeah. fault. Yeah. He's really cute. I, I feel like most boys at 14 wouldn't set up a little candlelight dinner for their crush. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cute. It's adorable. All I'm saying is that if Kim were to get frustrated and leave Cougar Radio, then it only makes sense that RFR would want such an experienced DJ. Who knows how powerful they'll be then? So... <laughs> Robbie being Robbie immediately goes to Principal Waller, who's like censoring out parts of the Cougar Radio script in the station. And he's like, Principal Waller, you have to ease up on Kim. And Waller rightly is like, I don't have to do anything. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? And, uh, um, you know, he, Robbie makes these arguments that, you know, Kim is supposed to be the voice of the students and everything like that. And Waller's not swayed. He kind of walks up and he's like, you're quite through, Mr. McGrath. And then Robbie's like, well, I guess RFR will thank you. Oh, and I almost forgot to mention, when, like, Robbie and Waller are talking, we can see through the Cougar Radio window, like, Kim takes a step towards the station, sees what's going on, and her jaw just drops, and she's like, oh, God, what is he doing? (laughs) And, uh, but basically, Robbie turns it into this whole thing where he's like, well, I guess RFR will thank you, because if Kim gets frustrated and quits... You know, why wouldn't RFR want a journalist of uh, of her experience? And Waller's like, shit. <laughs> but it's it's pretty flimsy I argument, guess. given that they're constantly roasting That's Kim. That's true. Like, that would be a pretty hard That's sell. That's true. But regardless, it, it works and it gets through to Waller and we see Kim back in the DJ booth, unchaperoned. And we get this shot of, like... I they clearly did it just for like the reveal of Robbie watching through the window, but we see like a, a window, like one of the panels for the DJ booth covered in like foam, and then it's squeegeeing through to reveal Robbie's face. Why is he cleaning that window? Did did he make Waller mad enough that that was a punishment <laughs> to make him clean the window? Also, why is he doing it right then? So like Kim's like, yo and hello everybody. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just hears squeaks throughout the broadcast. <laughs> yeah, he actually just, he wanted to sabotage her himself. He didn't want Waller to get the, the joy of it. Yeah, he's he's still trying to get her uh, get her away from Cougar Radio. But then we go to RFR for that day and, you know, they, they say, well, you know, Kim's, Kim's back on the air. I guess that's that. And um, Lily jumps in kind of hesitantly with a, a song and she kind of gives Ray this meaningful look and she's like, this is a song I've been working on that's about something really important to me. And basically the, we, we get, you know, the, the lyrics of the song, her, her singing it, as we get a montage of um, Ray and Travis both kind of contemplating their feelings for Thanks. Lily while her song basically says, you know, please, please don't change as 
you know, my, my life goes on. You're my best friend. And, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we're, we've got Lily feeling right now is that she's, she's not ready for any change of any kind. She just, she needs her friends to be her friends. Um, so outside of the station, after the broadcast, we get a little Ray and Travis interaction and, Travis reveals to Ray that, you know, he he does have feelings for Lily and he thinks about her all the time. And we we don't, you know, again, surprisingly, we really don't get any anger out of Ray. And um, he kind of just makes this stance that, you know, Lily made it clear that she just needs a friend. But so I'll be her friend. And when she's ready for more, I'll, I'll still be around. And Travis is like, I will too. So we get this kind of May the best man win in in the great media trope of trying to to win. <laughs> yes, it's a competition of earning love and respect. Yeah, Lily, Lily is still a bit of a prize to be won for for the boys. It makes me think of the whole thing with the single, where Ray's like, "Hey, if you're gonna make a decision regarding Lily, ask me first. <laughs> like, I call dibs." <laughs> yeah, so it's. It's becoming slightly more mature, and mm-hmm. he's definitely, you know, n- not nearly as cold as he, he used to be with Travis. Yeah. It's not like this whole untrusting vibe anymore. Yeah, but that's good to uh, see. It, it looks like we're still going to see some some kind of love triangle between the three of them going forward. So in this episode, songs featured include Just Like Everybody Else by Beautiful 2000, Walking Around Waiting Downtown by Reverie Sound Review. Is that it? I think those are the only ones that they were able to identify. Yeah, there's, there's you know, a, a good chunk of question mark kind of placeholders here for maybe maybe five or six songs. So there's, there's a lot of fun songs featured in this episode, but how identifiable they are and how much we could vet those identifications. I'm not sure. Yeah. But we, we do get, I think our, our first listen to Reverie Sound Review Yay! in the series. Which are just such a fun, gentle vibe. And I remember really loving their music. They're, they're definitely um, a band that stands out for me from the show. You know, even even in just the name, it's one that I recognize right away, and they have a very kind of distinct style. And I think they're from Calgary. They are, they are not? from Calgary, so listening to them always makes me think of like walk. Like the song featured is "Walking Around Waiting Downtown," and it automatically makes me think of walking around downtown Calgary. It's very, yeah. it's yeah, really nice kind of like that that kind of pop that feels like you're walking around a downtown setting. <laughs> it goes. Beep boop, and then there's a, there's a nice. It's that kind of pop that goes beep boop. It goes beep boop, and then there's a nice voice. You know, <laughs> I wish I'm just gonna. I, I think you you just described most like automated responses when you call a number. <laughs> yeah. It goes beep boop, and then there's nice voice. This is yeah, that's my genre is answering machine core. <laughs> So if you want to feel like you're listening to an answering machine, check out Reverie Sound Review. <laughs> oh, no. No, they're great. I think you can still find a decent amount of their stuff online. Yeah, and I think uh, I think you can buy their EP. There was a while there where you couldn't. And I remember like waiting for the CD re-release and jumping on it. So I have the CD of the Reverie Sound Review EP that has all the songs featured um, in RFR on it. And it's it's a really good EP. It's, uh, nice. it's good stuff. 
So that does it for us this week. If you're not already, you can follow us on social media. You can find us at Podcast Free Roscoe on Facebook and Instagram or Pod Free Roscoe on Twitter. You can also send us an email at podcastfreerosco at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the show, what you think of RFR, what do you think of any of our CanCon. And uh, if you want, you can leave us a voice memo and we'll get you on the air. So for now, this is Podcast Free Roscoe signing off. Thank you.